Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Sample Hour. Um, I am honored to have this guest on today. I have, uh, he's actually one of the first guests that have ever contacted me and said, hey, I want to do your show. So I was actually super blown away just because I think it's great if you guys listen to the show and you say, I really appreciate it. Means the world. So big shout out to everybody that's been doing that. Most of you guys have been actually coming from the permaculture community, so I'm happy to be a part of it. Uh, but uh, this guest, I actually met him through, um, as you all know, the affiliate site Profitable Urban Farming. I'm taking that class, so I met him. He was actually in the, the he's actually in the discussion group, and we talk about that on the podcast. But he had actually commented me for my uh, most recent podcast that I did with Luke Callahan. And then he went back and listened to the ones with Curtis and all the other uh, permaculture food growery um, episodes. And he said, hey, man, I'm uh, launching a Kickstarter campaign and I'd love to do your podcast to promote my farm and the campaign. I was like, let's do it. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy this guest. His name is Scott Herbert. You can follow Scott on Instagram. He is... If you just go to Instagram forward slash uh, Flavorful Farms, and he's Canadian, so that's the King's English. So Flavor is O-U-R, not O-R. And um, you can also like that on Facebook. Go to his website, and all those links are going to be in the show notes. But please go to his Kickstarter and just donate whatever you can, even if it's a dollar, five dollars. Just support Scott. Support Scott. Um, He's got a great vision, as you guys will hear in the podcast, and um, and it was a pleasure having him on. So with that being said, guys, I just want to kind of also, before I take you in, let you know, go to samplehour.com. So that's a new website. So soon this web- this episode will be on that feed as well. The talk shoe feed I turned off yesterday, and um, pretty soon the sample hour will just redirect to samplehour.com. So... Um, with that being said, guys, enjoy the show. The ones that love me. The ones that love me. Why did I leave? Like me. 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 Like Ladies and gentlemen, welcome again to another episode of The Sample Hour. I'm uh, very happy to have this guest on today. He actually contacted me about coming on my podcast, and I was blown away because I was like, people don't usually ask me. I usually ask people. So yeah, absolutely. He's a part of the profitable urban farming class that I've been talking about. I had both Curtis Stone and Luke Miller Callahan on, and during Curtis's podcast, he talks about how there's an individual that he knows that is actually raising money through crowdsourcing to to get to start his farm. Because a big thing that Curtis and I talked about on the podcast is kind of get in where you fit in. Um, and and I'd been talking to this gentleman for a while in the in the class, and we became friends. And then he hit me up about his profitable about. Um, his Kickstarter fund, and I honestly totally forgot that Curtis had talked about somebody that in the class that was doing that 
because like I got caught up in my own stuff. But uh, he is the owner of FlavorfulFarms.com. Um, he has a Kickstarter. Mr. Scott Hebert, how you doing today, Scott? Awesome, man. Glad to be here. Yeah, man. I'm super stoked to have you on. I think this uh, profitable urban farming course and just getting in this, you know, sustainable ag business, you know, kind of getting in where we fit in. It's mm-hmm. been a really fun process. Um, and, and, I, and, and, you know, it's cool to connect with, with, you know, with, with you and other, other individuals that are all over the world um, trying to do sustainable ag, trying to do market gardening, trying to do, you know, profitable urban farming. And um, so I, I think it's, it's great to get other crazy people like me on that think this is a fun idea to do and, uh, and just to kind of talk about it. So, um, yeah, Scott, so, so I want to have you, what I was thinking is, you know, what, what had you, um, wow, I'm a really good talker today, Scott. This is, this, this podcast is going great, man. (laughs) So off with a bang. I was just, I'm just killing it today, guys. I, you know, I, I had a podcast before and I ran out of time recording it, but anyways, focusing on Scott, uh, so how did you get started in like, what, what made you say, I want to have a farm. I want to grow, I want to grow my own food. I want to live, live off the land. Yeah. So three years ago I was, um, watching these videos on YouTube and they were both like these sustainable farms. And I heard, um, Dan Barber do a Ted talk about, uh, foie gras and yeah. he was, uh, explaining his farm and it was just like a really beautiful story. And I was seen this video and I thought, oh, I'm doing the wrong thing. Like I should be doing that. Like that's what I want to do. And then so I was um, working with my dad. We had a, we were running a kitchen cabinet shop together. And I was, yeah, I was also doing um, mixed martial arts pretty like heavily. I was, I had like six fights and stuff. And so I was doing fighting and doing the cabinet shop. And then I like started seeing all these videos and I was like, yeah, I'm doing the wrong thing. So I kind of slowly got out of fighting and quit doing that. And then that's a pretty big change, man. Not to interrupt you, but uh, no, yeah, it was a pretty crazy, yeah, pretty crazy change. So, 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 okay. So growing up, yeah, like I know, you know, you're, you're in Canada and I know MMA is huge in Canada. Like a lot of people Mm -hmm. don't know that Um, George St. Pierre did wonders for MMA in, in Canada, but what, so how so how old are you just so people know uh, 27 27 so when did you start yeah. training and fighting um oh this is this is just gonna get crazier um in 2006 i got out of high school that's when i that's when i graduated and mm-hmm. i was uh 220 pounds um mm-hmm. i'm only five foot nine so i was pretty fat yeah and so i know that i needed to make a change like it just wasn't fun so high school ended and then my friend wanted to go to this mma gym and so i started going with him and he quit for after three months, and I kept going for six years, and ended up having six fights, and I lost. I ended up fighting in the one thirty five division, so I lost like Holy eighty pounds. Holy shit, man! Yeah, pretty crazy. You were fighting. So then, you were fighting horse jockeys. No, I'm just <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. Yeah, I, I like lost weight, and people are like, "Where'd the other half of you go?" I mean, you literally would have fought Dominic Cruz. Like that's yeah. his weight class. That's crazy to go from two twenty. You're five nine too, so you must have been a monster in that weight class. Yeah, I was. I have like a pretty like long build and stuff, and I, yeah, I was. My first couple fights, I was fighting at one forty five. Yeah, and so it wasn't. It was a little too heavy for me. The guys were like 
just a little bit too big. But then when I got to that 135, I was the biggest, strongest. They were a little bit faster, but yeah, I, I did really good in my last couple of fights when I got down to that weight class. So you were doing that, and then your dad has a cabinet shop. So your dad is already yeah. kind of like a self-employed type of guy, entrepreneur type of guy. Yeah. And so you kind of grew up in that. And then, you know, you're fighting. You're like, you know, what? Okay, so what was it in fighting that you're like, you know, this isn't really going to last well, a long time? I was like, I had started fighting to, as a weight loss. Yeah. Not really. I wasn't really thinking I was going to be like a professional fighter or anything. Yeah. But then I kept going and I lost weight and like, I was pretty good in the gym. Like, you know, I was like beating guys up and I could like big guys would come in and I would pretty good at wrestling and like the jujitsu part of it better more than like the striking. Yeah. And so, yeah, I would like fight them and uh, I would do really good. And then eventually it was kind of like, well, if you're going to keep doing it, might as well have a fight. And then, so I did a fight and I was like, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy, but I lost. So then I wanted to win. And How so did you lose your first of, fight? Like I know, um, I know a lot of people listening might not be in MMA, but it is going to come around. Like it's going to come. Yeah, no, um, Yeah, my first fight I lost uh, by TKO. It was just I wasn't ready for that fight. I had I fought way too soon, oh, way too soon. Yeah, like it was pretty funny. Like as soon as I put like my hands up and the refs like, "You ready to go? You ready to go?" I was just thinking in my head, "Nope." <laughs> that's a that's not a good mentality. <laughs> <laughs> but Okay, so so switching gears, you get a few fights, you win a few fights, and I was this this was all amateur, yeah, all amateur. And then you're working at the cabinet shop, you see some videos, yep. and you're like, you know what? Now, do you still train? Or are you done training? Uh, no, I'm done training. I kind of, I just really abruptly left fighting, and it was just like, like I'm after, gonna go after my last, after my last fight, my last fight was in my hometown, and like all my friends and family came and. Um, I took the guy down and I, yeah, I just won the whole fight. I pretty much didn't even get hit. I won a decision and it was like, I was just like, well, if I'm going to stay in this, I'm going to like try to be a champion at this. Yeah. So that's a long, that's a, I would have to put in this exact same amount of work that I had already done, which was six years and a, like a lot of like dedicated work again. And I was like, man, I think I'm done. That yeah. yeah, that's interesting. There was a guy recently who just fought in the UFC, and he uh, made it to the UFC, knocked the guy out, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm retired. I just wanted to win in the UFC." Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, and it's and I think it's interesting, and and the reason why I wanted you to talk about MMA um, is just because I mean that's that's still something that's not a normal thing that people do. I mean, it's no. becoming more normal, but it's not for for people that don't know. I've been having a bunch of podcast issues today, so no idea why Skype isn't working, and my recording equipment has been uh, been a little bit less than uh, friendly today. So I appreciate your patience today, sir. So what I would love to have you on, um, or what I'd love to have us talk about today, is just you know how you got to where you are right now. And I know, mm -hmm. and, and I think it's it's cool because you and I are kind of we're in this course together. We're we're probably you're a little bit, I would say you're ahead of the game on me because of your access to land, but we also are in mm -hmm. very different situations. Yeah. So I think it's cool to to bounce ideas off each other and to really think. But um, anyway, so how did you end up? Um, well, first off, let's start out with this. How did you become an MMA fighter? Because you did some amateur MMA fights. So just kind of tell yeah. your story real quick about how you got from there and into um, where you're at right now. 
Mm-hmm. So in 2006, I was just finished high school and I was really overweight. I was like 220 pounds. I'm not a very tall guy. Um, I went and took a job with my dad at his kitchen cabinet shop. So he was already kind of an entrepreneur. Um, so in the fall, my friend wanted to go do this to this MMA gym and I needed a change in my life. I needed to like lose some weight. So I went there with him and, uh, he quit after three months and I kept going for six years and, uh, I ended up fighting my first couple fights at 145. And then that was the wrong weight class. So I went down to 135 pounds and, um, yeah, I did really good in that one. And how much did you weigh though before? Did you I weigh? was 220 before. 220 and you cut all the way down to 135 to fight. That's pretty yeah. crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's one guy named Mike Dolce and he's, uh, he's like the nutrition guy in MMA yeah, and he always talked about like a really like holistic diet and stuff. I have his books, and that was what got me eating real food. Yeah, now that's interesting. So, because for me personally, the eating real food part is actually what got me in the direction of sustainable ag and and learning mm-hmm. more about my food and ultimately wanting to grow food. Yeah, um, would you say that that had an effect as well? Yeah, I think that there was a whole bunch of things that really contributed to me wanting to do this. Like a whole bunch. Yeah. Um, when people ask me, they're like, why do you want to be a farmer? I'm just, I don't really have a list yet. Like I don't have it narrowed down. There was a whole bunch of reasons why I wanted to do this. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So anyway, so you're fighting. Um, yep. you, you cut down to 135. Uh, mm-hmm. how, so how many amateur fights did you fight? I had six. So six. So how did, how, what, how did you grow? I guess as a person in the course of these six fights, <laughs> um, like completely different person. Yeah, I, yeah, I, like just completely different person. Um, fighting taught me how to do so many things. Taught me how to work hard. It taught me how to learn, uh, and it taught me lots of things. I wanted to. I found out that I was. I didn't really like competing that much. Um, like at fighting, I didn't like competing at fighting that yeah. much. I liked coaching a lot more and I liked helping guys cut weight and I liked helping guys with their diet. I liked helping other people reach their goals more than I liked having the, like being in the ring. Yeah. And so I kind of was, yeah, I was kind of done. Um, after my last fight, I had to kind of make a decision if I was going to make that into my career or not. I had some, I had the opportunity to train with some pretty high level people, and uh, this coach Neil came up and he said, I was doing a private with him. And he, the first thing he said to me, he sat me down on the mat and he said, listen, he's like, you're at a point right now where you're not doing this for any other reasons. You're doing this to make money. This is your career. This is how you're going to pay your bills. And I was just sitting across from him on the mat. And all I was thinking was, that's not why I'm doing this. Yeah. And so I had to get out of that. So now have you had like any... Um... Because you you said uh, you said before you just kind of abruptly left. Mm-hmm. Um, have you had people call you to bug you about it or bug me about what coming back to the gym? Oh yeah, totally. I still I I live with uh, I rented out my room to like the guy that I was training with. Yeah. So he's living with me right now. Um, it's really funny. We were like, he's another small guy. Yeah. And so at the end of my fighting career, we found each other and we both got way better so much faster. Cause we had somebody else to like, that was going through the exact same thing. Yeah. And he's always trying to get me to train. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. 
Uh, would you still like if a guy wanted you in his corner, would you still go and corner him? Yeah, I'm pretty good at being like I'm not good at giving technical advice anymore. Like I wouldn't like other than like keep your hands up and breathe and stuff. But I'm really good at like inspiring my teammates and like building confidence in them. I learned how to do that from um, a coach. Showed us how to like build confidence in these guys and stuff. So that's awesome. Try to yeah do that with them and make sure they're calm. You basically like you've got to keep them nice and calm and like take care of them. Just babysit them. If they want water, you go get water. And if they're too hot, you make help them cool off. If they're too cold, you heat them up. Like you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, so okay, so you're you're grinding out fights. So we had talked before. You were a grinder in the in the, in the, in the cage. Yeah, you weren't a guy that was gonna just this naturally guy that had heavy hands was good at knocking guys out. Mm-hmm. You were a guy that if 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 we're grappling, you're grinding it out and you're trying to catch me. Well, I'm trying to punch you in the face. And, yeah. And and I think that for people that don't watch MMA, why that's important to 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 know and learn is because you are really good at fundamentals. You learn the techniques and and it's like, okay, so I need to I I if as long as I can execute the techniques that I know, I'm gonna mm-hmm. be okay and I'm gonna win these fights. What did you finish out with your amateur record? How how um I was two, three, and one. Um, but my last fights that I was at 135, when I went to that weight class, I didn't lose those fights. I won those fights. So that's when I felt like I was pretty good. So you were two and zero at 135. Um, yeah, well, I was one and one actually. Okay. I, I went up, I went up to, uh, I went up and fought this guy on one day notice one oh, time. Yeah, that's never a good idea. Yeah. And I fought <laughs> him in his hometown and it was, it was an amateur fight. So the way they had it set up, it was two five minute rounds. And I totally smoked him the first round. And then the second round, I thought I had done more to win. And it was like, uh, but it was pretty even. And then they gave it like a draw because they gave one round to me and one round to him. Oh. But we were we were sitting there afterwards having a beer. And I was like, hey, man, like, who do you think won that fight? And he's like, I feel like I lost. And I was like, yeah, I feel like I won. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so we both kind of knew what was up. It was funny. Like, it was, yeah. So I feel like I won that fight. I'm happy with that. So, so okay. So you, um, now, how did you, so what, what made you be, you know, I'm in MMA. And then what made you say, okay, I want to, I want to grow, I want to grow food. I wanna... So I'd seen I'd seen these videos of these farms, um, like Sepp Holzer's farm, and I heard Dan Barber doing these TED talks about these really beautiful uh, farms, like they were sustainable and they were regenerating the land and doing all these crazy things. And like I was watching that, and I was kind of winding down in my fighting career, and I just thought to myself, like I'm doing the wrong thing. Yeah. But I didn't know how I was going to be able to do this. I didn't know how it like how it was going to work at all. And then. In through like right after I'd finished fighting, my parents have five acres, and there's a modular home on it. Yeah, and so I bought thirteen percent of the property off of them. That's awesome. Yeah, and for modular home, is that just like a mobile? It's a home? trailer. Yeah, it's a trailer. Okay, just for yep. for American and Canadian different. Oh yeah, I just call it modular <laughs> home so it sounds fancy. No, yeah, well it's it's a, it's, <laughs> it's a house. It's a house. Well, no, the funniest thing is too because you know like I have a bunch of Canadian friends. Yeah. I remember when they first started saying First Nations. I'm like, what the what the hell is yeah. that? And it's like what we called Native Americans. And then yeah. uh, that Gavin McInnes video that Curtis posted, the soaker. I'd never heard of a soaker before. Like the you get you get snow and your boots wet. And I'm like, uh-huh. 
<laughs> oh man, that's so funny. But anyways, um, so okay, so you're you're watching these sustainable act things. You purchased this land. Now, did you go immediately to your parents? Like, it, like was it so you're you're done? Was it so you're sitting there in the gym with the coach, and he's like, "This is the way you're gonna make money." Or like, "This is not the fucking way I'm gonna make money. I'm gonna do something else." Like, when did you go to your parents and say, "Look, I want to start. I want to cultivate this land." Um, when when I signed up for a PDC. Okay. Because I had to start explaining to myself like what I was doing. I was working with my dad, right? So I yeah. look. I had been secretly like watching permaculture videos and like going on like permaculture stuff and trying to figure out like what was this? Because that seemed like a pretty good first step because it was about like land design, right? Absolutely. And so I was like, oh man, okay, I'll figure out about this permaculture stuff. And there was like, when I started looking into it, there was like lots of like kind of like hippie social justice people, and like that's that stuff's pretty cool and stuff. But I was looking more for like the technical information. Yeah. Right. Like I think like all like saving the environment and saving the world and stuff that is awesome, right? Yeah. But yeah, I needed I need how to do you find actually like do information. It? Yeah. Right. Like how do I yeah. actually do this? What do I need mm -hmm. to do? Yeah. So I ended up. I emailed this guy who ended up teaching me my PDC, but at the time it was just some permaculture guy on the internet. And I asked him, hey man, are there any permaculture farms that are making money? And he said, yes, there are. And like, here's a list of five books to like get you started. Oh, I think I asked him for some like recommended reading. Yeah. And Did so he I bought you these. what farms were making money? Uh, he didn't, I did that. No, I didn't ask him. Okay. But then I ended up, um, so I read these books and like the permaculture textbook and stuff. And I was like, okay, I'm in, I'll go do a PDC. And so I went to this guy, Jesse Lemieux at Pacific Permaculture. And yeah, and then that's how I found out about Jean-Martin Fortier. And that's when I first heard about spin farming. Yeah. I but, so I hadn't heard of spin farming until I heard Curtis talking about it. I still haven't really looked into spin farming. So keep going. Um, so that's when I first heard about it. And that was, that must have been last, like uh, spring 2014. And I think what, I took my PDC. It, and real quick, what is spin farming? So for people that don't know, because I've never really talked about spin farming. Okay. Um, so what it's, what is spin farming? Spin farming is small production intensive. So, or, um, so you want to, um, you have a standardized bed and that bed's going to rotate over. Okay. Four or five times a year. Okay. So spin farming is all about, because I know for for Curtis Stone, he talked about how he got into spin as well, and he's kind of modified it into what we're doing today with profitable urban farming. Mm. Um, and so, but now spin farming is really climate specific. Is that the case? Um, no, I think, no. He was, well, a little bit. The guy that wrote the course wrote it, for his kind of Saskatchewan weather system. So there's not that much stuff about irrigation and stuff in it. Yeah. That was kind of the issue with it. Okay. So anyway, so and it was, it wasn't that specific either. So I found out about the spin farming stuff and then I had, I didn't really, it didn't really appeal to me when I first heard about it. And like John Martin's system was, it was so much bigger than like what I was kind of wanting to start out on. And I didn't have $30,000 to, to start out. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, well, like maybe one day I can do that, but I can't do that right now. Yeah. So, um, I felt the same. I was kind of, yeah, I had like, <laughs> I had a, like, I want my farm to be a five acre farm eventually. 
So I knew I needed to have multiple enterprises on it. And I was kind of thinking that maybe I could build like a barn and like kind of make like a agro-tourism business here. Yeah. And host like events and stuff like that. So I was kind of thinking of different ways that I could like make that happen because everybody's telling me there's no money farming. Yeah. And so I'm trying to think about ways I can make like I can have a farm but and make money off of it. So I kind of thought that maybe I could do like a workout and nutrition thing and combine it together and then grow my own food for my nutrition clients. Yeah. So I thought that would be pretty sweet and it'd be with the fighting thing, right? I could go and help my teammates and go back to the gym and still be a part of the team, just not train. Yeah. So that really appealed to me. So I started going, I went and did a workout thing in New Jersey. I found this workout guy who was really inspiring and seemed like he had a really good business plan and stuff going on. So I went out to New Jersey last year and I seen him, did a workshop there, came back and I was pretty deflated after that. Um, I started to realize that I couldn't learn fighting and working out and nutrition. I couldn't do all three of those things. They were all like, I couldn't do, sorry, I couldn't do all three of those things and get good at one thing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I was pretty deflated after that. And I was like, okay, well, that's it. Like, I guess I'm kind of like done. Don't really know what to do. I don't know what to do with my farm. So I just kept working with my dad and I kept thinking, man, I really want this farm to work. I want to like figure out how I, how, like what's the first piece? Like how can I make this farm start? And so my, I was kind of bugging my dad because the, our work had turned from a business into a job. The last two years that we worked there, we worked every single day from October until um, Christmas time. And that's at the cabinet shop? Yeah, that's at the cabinet shop. It wasn't like maybe 10-hour days or anything. Like maybe we just went in for like four hours or something. But it was every day we were going in. And I was just like, I said to my dad, I said, man, I'm like, this is not a business anymore. This is a job. Like we have to be here to make money. We're not making money when we're not here. Um, We can get better jobs than this. Yeah. So and then now had and you then, um like have you read any like entrepreneurial books as well? Oh yeah, yeah. Lots. I was gonna say because that reminds me like Rich Dad Poor Dad. So when did you start reading these books as well? Because I kind of because I think that's important because I think like that that education of reading those books helps you shift your yeah. thinking. I'm uh, a really bad re- yeah it does totally helps shift your thinking. I'm a really bad reader, so I listen to audiobooks. Yeah, and I listen to podcasts. I'm, that's much more my preferred learning sources. Um, so I'm the I started, same. I'm the same. I'm, yeah. I, yeah. I think that most people that probably listen to podcasts are. Um, so I started, I've always read books since I kind of moved out into my own house and I thought I wanted to start a business. I would watch like YouTube videos and I would find guys and they would be like, you have to read the e-myth. And I was like, okay, what's the e-myth? And then I wouldn't do it. But then I would hear another guy that I really liked and they would be like, you have to read the e-myth. And I was like, okay, well, that's two guys telling me. And then like, as soon as I hear like three or four guys that like really inspire me or who I like kind of want to be like, tell me that I should read a book. I'm like, oh, okay, bought. Yeah, you know, so oddly enough, my friend Nathan, who I do a radio show with, was all about the e-myth and actually sent it to me so I could listen to it. 
Yeah. And I still haven't listened to it. And now that oh, you said I, no, you it, gotta, I'm going to go listen to it right yeah. after we get done. Yeah. No, you got to listen to it. Yeah. It's really funny. You, you got to listen to it and then you have to listen to it again. Okay. It's important. All right. It takes you out of it. That's a really important book for probably a lot of people in the audience listening to if you're going to be starting a business. It takes you out of your mind frame that if you're a technician that you're qualified to run a business because just because you know how to produce something doesn't make you qualified to run a business. Yeah. It doesn't mean you know how to distribute it or find the people that can distribute it. So I think that's, Mm -hmm. I agree. I think, um, yeah, I think the skills that you need to be a successful entrepreneur or business owner are a lot more encompassing. I think you can have a heavy technical, like you can be like a technician but you need to have somebody else then with you that can do the other stuff. Yeah, you need to be able to wear different hats. You need to be able to go make sales. You need to be able to be um, your financing person. And at the beginning of your of your business, you're going to have to wear all those hats. You're going to have to be every person. You're going to have to yeah. be the janitor. Yeah, and but, you're going to suck at a lot of them too. But you'll Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> but, then you, but then you find out which one you're the weakest at, and then you hire someone who's strong to do that. Yeah, that's a good, that's, that's a good point. Um, so, so anyways, so you're with your dad, you're like, you, you're yeah. listening to these books, you're becoming a secret farmer with nobody yeah. knowing about it. So you're, you're doing totally. this in, in the dark and in secret. And then yeah. you're like, dad, this is a job. This business is failing. Not yeah. because it's not making money, but because we have to be here all the time. Right. And then, so then he hadn't been reinvesting money back into it for new equipment and stuff. So I was kind of thinking that like I kept kind of bugging him about it. Like, Hey man, when are we going to, when are we going to get out of this? Like I got other stuff I kind of want to take on. Like, when are we going to do this? When are we going to do this? And he would always be like, Oh, well like maybe, maybe we'll talk about it in like six months or like maybe a year. Like, so I was kind of thinking that when we did decide a date, it would be like six months to a year. And then at that point in time, then I would really start to hammer on my farm Yeah. and try to figure that out. If that's what I, still wanted to do and so all our equipment started breaking down and our vehicles started breaking down and he came up one day and he said um so in two months we're shutting it down and i was like oh no i don't have any money and that's really fast and (laughs) uh oh and so i was just like sitting there kind of shocked because like it's happening really fast then yeah and I was like, uh, so I went on Facebook and went, went on the Permaculture Guild and I said, I posted about farms. I was like, I want to come see. I was like, if you have a successful farm, I want to come see it. Yeah. I want to come check it out. I'm like, I need to get going on this farm like right now. And so I did that. That was the first thing I did. And I met, I started going to all these farms and I go to these farms. I was looking at smaller farms, like vegetable farms and stuff. And I was like, man, like these people aren't making money. Yeah. And they're like coming up to me and they're like, I'm like, yeah, I want to start a farm. And they're like, well, like, why do you want to make $13 an hour? <laughs> I'm thinking in my head, like, I don't like, I don't like, if that's what being a farmer is, I don't think I'm in, I'm out. Yeah. Like I'm not doing that. So, so I had been visiting these local farms and like some of them were complete messes. Some of them were fine. But some of them, the same thing, it was like the same thing that me and my dad were doing. We were putting in so many hours into it. Like you weren't getting a very good return on your investment, right? Yeah. 
So I was kind of thinking I had to look bigger. Like I didn't know where else. So I knew that this spin farming thing seemed like a pretty good idea. So I downloaded the spin farming book and I read it in like one night. It's just like a, it's just like a little ebook. It's not that in, it's not that uh, in depth. Okay. And I was like, Oh, I was like, I could do that. I was like, I could do that for sure. And so I was thinking I needed to find the best spin farmer I could. Yeah. But I needed to find someone to teach me how to do this spin farming thing. Yeah. So I was still working at the cabinet shop. This is like two months left now. And I'm like, oh, man, I need to find someone to teach me this. So I found out about this guy in Kelowna named Curtis Stone. And I had I listened to the Permaculture Voices podcast, but I hadn't been listening to all of them. Yeah. And I hadn't been listening to any of the Urban Farmer ones because it was like it had a different title on it. And I was like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> You're like, what is tough? The ultimate Yeah, fighter? that's what I thought. I thought Why is the ultimate exactly fighter on Permaculture yeah. Voices? <laughs> that's exactly what I thought. I'm like, oh, you know what? I don't even watch that, that tough TV show. I'm not going to listen to that one. <laughs> so, so I didn't listen to it. But so, yeah, on one of the Permaculture Voices episodes, I heard about um, – Diego say something about, yeah, that's why I really like what like this guy Curtis Stone is doing in Kelowna with his spin farm. And I was like, okay. So I typed in Curtis Stone Kelowna or whatever, and it came up. And I sent him an email, and I said, hey, man, do you do farm tours? And he says, yeah, but it's a consultation. Like, you got to pay for it. And I was thinking, perfect. Yeah. So I set it up, and uh, we set it up in one month. So I had... He, I was like, man, like, what should I, uh, what should I know before I go there? And he's like, oh, just go on my, go on my YouTube channel and start looking at all the videos. Yeah. And I said, okay. So I went on the YouTube channel. I started watching the videos, and it was like really good, man. He had a book coming out and stuff, and I was thinking like, oh, like this guy has an actual system. Like this is perfect. Yeah. I was like, I can, t- I'll totally do this. I'm gonna be able to start my farm. I was like, this is it. And then I was thought I should listen to the podcast that he was on on Permaculture Voices. So I started listening to that, and I listened to, um, and then I found out about the Urban Farmer, and I was like, oh man, this is like real perfect. Yeah. And so I started doing that, and then as I was getting into, I actually had rented a sod cutter during this, like in between the time when I booked my consultation with him and when I went. And I started tearing up my lawn. I was like, I'm starting now. Like, I'm doing this. And so um, I found out about these urban farmer podcasts and I started listening to them. And it was, like, awesome. I'm sitting there, um, like, tearing up sod, listening to, <laughs> listening to the podcasts and stuff. And yeah. then I found out about this course from the podcast. Yeah. And I was like, oh, man, this is sweet. I was like, this is exactly what I've been waiting for. I was like, this is like the piece I need, man, to start this thing. And so I went and I signed up for it, like instantly. It took me a while to find the button to pay, but I found it. (laughs) And so this was, this was two weeks out from, this was two weeks out from like going, me going to see him. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So I had two weeks and I was like, I was sitting there and I was like, oh man, I need to I need to cram as much as I can so that I can get the most out of being there. Yeah, so I can get the most out of this consultation. 
Right. So I did most of the production side of the course in like two weeks. Like I just hammered it out. I watched videos every night. I was just, just like constant. You know what I mean? It was just, yeah, it was like, oh man, for like two weeks in my life, it was just like all Curtis just going blah, like talking. I was like, oh man, can't stand this anymore. (laughs) So, (laughs) so you, how far is Kelowna from where you're at? Uh, Two and a half. Two and a half hours. Yeah, that was that was part of the, the stipulation is that because I was still working at the shop, so I needed to find a spin farmer that was within a weekend of me. Oh, that's because awesome. I needed to, I needed to be able to go and see him, find this person, and make it back to work on Monday. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. So, yeah. So then when I heard someone in Kelowna, then I was like, oh, that would be that sounds pretty ideal. Absolutely. So I can actually get there and back in a day. Yeah. So, so you went to, um, so you go and you meet up with Curtis and when was this? So when did you, uh, June, I think it was like June 5th, June 5th. And then yeah, maybe. So, so you go June 5th, you go meet up with Curtis, you do a consultation. Yeah. And when did you come up with like, when did you come up with, I need to do a Kickstarter? Okay. So, um, I was like at this point in time too, I was spread really thin with my money, like really thin. Like I was in debt. I'm still in debt, but you know what I mean? Like I was in like just about to the point where like I was not managing it very well. And so having to sign up for the course and stuff, like just about like put me under, man. Like I was pretty close. And so, but I really wanted to like do this, right? And I was just like, man, like I need to do this like now. And so I was like, man, I need to start making money like now and i thought like a kickstarter would be a pretty good way to do that but then as i kind of started looking into the kickstarter that's not it's not actually like the greatest way to make money (laughs) um but but it's okay because it's about marketing too well for everybody that doesn't know so you're already at 60 percent though and you started this Wednesday, so you're doing all right and you're like doing pretty good staffer's choice which now you're getting (laughs) extra visits Mm-hmm. And it's like it's interesting because Paul Wheaton, um, like Paul Wheaton's really good with Kickstarter. Like that dude, uh, he he. Uh, I don't know if you've checked out his podcast, but we'll talk about how he does it. And Jack Spierko mm-hmm. thinks Kickstarter's kind of stupid because it's you're putting it in somebody else's hands. And he raised a ton of money for Permit Ethos on his own. I mean, that guy's a freaking wizard. But that's another yeah. topic. But I mean, you're doing well with Kickstarter. That's the whole point. Yeah. Um, so okay. So so when did you? So what what's going on now? So you you go and you meet with Curtis. Yep. And, and I took my video guy with me. Okay. Yeah, because I knew that I needed. Because that's what I was thinking. I was like, man, if I'm going to go to like this is, I need to make this video show what my farm can be, not what my farm is right now, because my farm's a lawn. My farm's a lawn and like some microgreens growing in my kitchen, right? It's nothing. It's not like visually appealing. So I need to take my video guy with me. So I just sent Curtis an email and I was like, hey, man, would you mind if like I brought this video guy with me? And he says, yeah, no, that's cool. So I went up and seen Curtis and uh, yeah, it was it was really good. Like it was so sweet being up there and stuff. And just the amount that I had learned in like a month or whatever was just, it was unreal, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's awesome. So you went up there. You took a video now. When you took a video, were were you thinking like, 
I'm going to build this for my Kickstarter. Like I'm going to have. Yeah, no, that's what it was for. It was for. Like, okay. I was bringing that up there with every intention. Of, like that's what it, he was okay. coming. So when you went to start Kickstarter and you realized this isn't really a good way to make money unless you do a lot of work on market. Like it's not like, look, it's not you're going to start a Kickstarter and people are going to fund you. Like you have to have some marketing involved with Kickstarter. You have to. Totally. To, to build an audience of, of people who are like, yeah, I'm going to give this guy money. So yeah. How did you, so how did you go about starting to do that? Well, I, as soon as I started looking into Kickstarter, I started looking into like how to crowdfund and stuff. And, um, I realized that it was going to be a really big marketing tool as opposed to like a way to make money. Yes. And so I was like, I'm always like looking at the other farms and stuff. And I'm thinking, man, these guys suck at social media. Like most of them are not very good at it. And I just th always thought, I was like, man, when I have my business, I'm going to be so good at that. Like, that's what I'm going to really hammer on because no one else hammers on that. Like, no one else is doing that. That's why I'm, that's why I'm, how I'm going to be different. That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to add value to people by like sharing my story. That's awesome. And uh, your yeah. video that you've made for it is pretty cool. I mean, I think. Yeah, it's uh, awesome. Yeah, I think, I think everything that's going into it is pretty cool. So now what did you start? So how much, so you have access to five acres. So yeah. What have you started so far? So how much are you actually working on right now? Uh, well, so I went crazy with my sod cutter and I tore up like 9,000 square feet. So like under a quarter acre, I'm just doing the lawn around my trailer. Your, your modular, your um, modular home. Yeah. My modular home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my fancy trailer. It's yeah. a house. Um, yeah. So I'm there. Uh, yeah, I was on 9,000, but in the spin farming manuals, there's a couple methods. There's one method called low road, and there's one method called high road. And high road is when you have enough money to buy all the infrastructure. Okay. And so that's like a cooler and a road tiller and stuff. And low road is when you don't have that, and that's a lot more work. Yeah. And that's like that's like what Curtis and Luke, like it's that's not the point of their course, right? Their yeah. course is like super high road. It's like here's all the equipment you need. Go. Well, I think with their course, though, is ultimately they want you to, to be able to earn your way to the high road. I think it's – yeah, and I think that's why they're like, okay, start with microgreens, develop some cash flows, take those cash flows, put them into your thing. Because I need to get a cooler. I actually was – my grandpa has this beastly tiller. He, gave, he sold me this beastly old craftsman tiller that could get the job done. Like the BCA is, is – is obviously yeah that's kind of like the uh the, the standard um mm -hmm. but i need a walk-in cooler too man and i'm probably just gonna hopefully i can use microgreens to buy that or i do like i make good money at my job but it's like i'd rather not just put money into it like i'd rather have mm -hmm. me not do financial heroin from my job to my businesses. I totally. think I think that's important. I think it would be easy, like just because yeah, that's, just, that's not sustainable for you. No, and just because you have like access to money doesn't mean that you should use it. Like, Absolutely. I, and I think that's the that's a big thing that that people don't always see. Like I know um, with uh, our comedy club, like we saved a ton of money because my buddy who mainly has it is a construction worker and. Him and him and another partner did all the work. Like they did all the, they redid the whole interior. And I think like that with any business. I mean, look like if you wanted to start a farm, you could be like, hey, all right, so I want this farm, so I'm gonna pay these people to go till it, and I'm gonna pay these people to plant it. And then it's like, mm -hmm. man, like now you just have a really expensive hobby. Like you're not. Yeah, absolutely. So I th I think it's it's interesting to uh, 
to to think about and and I think that's what's great about Curtis's podcast and um and the and the course is just because it, it teaches you like they go over they address employees they address mm-hmm. when you would yeah. want to have that so uh, anyways um so right now you're going at a quarter of an acre yeah less and then like when I first started because I knew it was going to be a lot of work. Like I just have a garden, basically. I borrowed a rototiller from a friend, like a fifteen-inch, like normal, regular garden rototiller. And after this is after I got back from um, seeing Curtis. Yeah. Um. Yeah, when I went to see Curtis, I already already had a website and stuff up and ready to go. Like see, I was I like, I'm starting this. I don't have that yet. I need to. I need to get on that. I, uh, yeah, you need to get on a website. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I have a website for the podcast. I mean, people know, but I need to leverage. I'm trying to leverage the podcast for the mm-hmm. other stuff. But um, anyway, so you already got your website. You got that. Um, yeah. So I came home from the consultation with Curtis and I went to the local nursery. It was like pretty late in the year by the time I kind of had everything going. It was like maybe another month after this. Like it was in August when I like first started planning. So that's pretty much like my last crops were going in. It would have been, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I just bought some seeds and I bought some compost. I probably spent around mm, maybe 150, 200 bucks because I needed to get like a flip-flop sprinkler too to hook up to my, so I had some irrigation, right? Yeah. And so I started doing all these beds and I did like, I think there's like 15 or something. And I planted them out with like seeds from packets by hand. Yeah. I, it was like, oh was yeah, fun. it was. I was like, I was sitting there doing it, and I was just like, oh man, I am, I am never. Do, I'm buying the best cedar ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't think, care. I was like, yeah. yeah, man. I was just thinking about bending over and putting those little seeds in the ground, and then I was spilling some everywhere. And sometimes it would like be proper space, and sometimes it wouldn't. And it was, it was. I was just thinking about doing that every day, or yeah, every week. I mean for like years and years and i was like oh no no i'm just buying a cedar yeah i it's uh it's been interesting i think i it's weird because like when you first do it i think you should do the work because mm-hmm. it makes you appreciate why you need a cedar it absolutely makes you appreciate the things like like doing the work like I, I i did a lot of work with um uh we were we've actually been getting free compost which we're gonna have to switch up just because it's not uh um, up to par yeah, like there's definitely seeds in it. We use we use horse manure and uh and I think for commercial stuff, I mean we we're gonna it's good to kind of get started and, and I think, you know, once I get like a flame flame uh flamer and flame weeder. Flame weeder, yeah. A flamer is mm-hmm. probably something totally different. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get a flamer to work in my garden. That sounds yeah. sounds like I could have some social justice warriors on me for this. <laughs> but uh yeah, I, I think that that will a lot of that will solve itself. I think a lot of that um I need to get I it's weird for me personally because when I first started doing it, I wanted to have like you know, I need to run everything off my rainwater and all this other mm-hmm. stuff and then it turned into like all these projects that I hadn't completed cuz I didn't have the time and luckily we mm-hmm. do get like 40 inches of rain a year here, so mm-hmm. it's I haven't set up irrigation, but there's like I think the first year was good because I learned a lot of what I was doing wrong. And I think yeah. like, and I think that's, and I think when people get started, I think that's key for them to know like, Hey, look, you know, you're not going to be good at this at first at all. So no. what all, so did you 
gets so before I just drew the conversation there and <laughs> hijacked it, you you were growing your food and what yeah. now how have you so you had your website, you come back, what was your plan to to start selling this produce? Okay, so part of the low road thing is not having a cooler. Yeah. And that's really bad because you can't process anything. So I was thinking that for this fall, I'll just tell people that I'm going to be starting this farm and I'll grow some stuff and I'll give it away. Yeah. Because I only had like 200 bucks into it, right? Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'll do that. And then I'll kind of go back into the course and actually do it because I'd done most of it in like two weeks, right? Yeah. I was like, I'll go back in the course and like kind of do it properly this time. And then I'll figure out what my game plan is. Yeah. So, yeah, I did that and I just gave it away. It was nice. We just had like fresh food at like my parents' house for dinner all the time. And they have a pretty social house. People come there quite a bit. So people are coming there and having my stuff. And then uh, on Canadian Thanksgiving, which is in October... Yeah, it's not um, a Sunday, right? Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, yep. And then um, I cut it all up and I posted on my Facebook that I had free stuff. That's awesome. And then I did a giveaway. So, like, every couple hours I'd post a picture and I'd be like, first one to comment wins, I'll deliver them tomorrow. Nice. Yeah, and I had, I had like, done quite a bit. I had, think I had, like, 250 people on my Facebook at this point on my page. And this is like, I didn't really have product yet, right? So it was pretty sweet. I went and told, I just like asked all my friends pretty much to like my page. I was like, I need to kind of start this thing with some momentum. Like, can you help me out? And they're like, yep, no problem. Like, it's a Facebook page. Like, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So I did that and I just kind of told people, I was like, hey, this is kind of important to me. Could you like like this? So you used your farm's Facebook page to just to kind of reiterate. So you, you, you start your Facebook page. The yeah. plan is I'm going to grow some food and give it away just mm-hmm. so people know that I'm here. And then, yeah, and I kind of was I was kind of hoping that it wasn't going to be my friends that would scoop it up either. I was yeah. kind of hoping like that it would be like hope maybe randoms, but maybe like a friend of a friend or like someone I've only met like once or yeah. something. Like and the, it kind of was the loose network. Like yeah, the, yeah, absolutely. So and it, and it ended up happening like that too, which was pretty neat. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Um, so you you gave away food and what what crops did you mainly grow? Um, I grew salad greens, beets, radishes. I grew a couple things of radishes. Um, I grew some carrots and that was pretty much it. I tried to make like a little spring mix. That's awesome. Yeah. So I took all my, I took all my, um, oh, I had some mizuna, had some arugula. Yeah. I cut it all up and put it in my thing. That's awesome. Did you, uh, did you, did you kill anything in the process of growing? Did you, Um, did anything not go well? No, because like those first, like I had, I kind of did half and then I did another half afterwards and everything in the second half didn't go. It didn't have enough heat units. It was, I had planted it too late. Yeah. It just didn't get to size. Um, yeah, the arugula didn't really turn out so good. I kind of understand now about like the Mizuna getting away in size. My, my red Russian kale got quite big too. I ended up just eating that. I juiced most of it. Um, yeah, not. I didn't really have any disasters. We have like pretty good soil and stuff here, That's and nice. I was pretty, I was pretty on the ball with the watering and stuff because I really wanted it to work right. Yeah, I was like, I need this to work, like, because then I can start filling up my, like, start showing people that I'm like, I'm getting started, like, I'm not joking about this, like, I need to get moving. 
Yeah, I had some radishes that didn't radish because um, mm-hmm. I didn't water them enough. But I had great zucchini. I, I had oh, yeah. these cucumbers that just were out of control and mm-hmm. took over two beds. It was just because like we just wanted to get seeds in the ground. And we um, we had another. Joel already had his, his uh, city garden going. He's been doing it. He's the one that pointed me in the direction of Curtis and everything else like that. And so we already had like a an urban farm, or we already had like a, a farmer's market. And then my produce, I just took, and I think I sold cucumbers like two for a dollar. It's good to, the, the I think I feel like the most important thing that I did though was that, because I gave some food away at work too, because I just had so many cucumbers. I didn't even know what to do with them. I, yeah. I, I canned a lot of them. And then I, I was like, well, I'm not dedicating any more space in my fridge for this. So then I just gave them away at work and everybody loved them, the zucchini. But I think like the key part of it was growing something and then seeing somebody really appreciate it, like seeing somebody really enjoy it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I thought so, too. And like the thing is, like my stuff, like because I've been doing the course now, I know what I'm looking for a little bit more than I would have before. Yeah. Right. I know that my like I know that if I'm going to put that um, red Russian kale into a spring mix that like I can't have huge leaves. Right. It's got to be like little tiny leaves. And so I felt like bad almost giving away some of it. I was like, oh, man, these carrots are way too big. Like these are huge. Like they got such a big core in them. People aren't going to like these. (laughs) <laughs> and then I gave them away, and they're like, "Thank you so much." So good. Like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's people, amazing. People, I'm I like, had some oh. funny shaped. I had some funny looking cucumbers, and yeah. my, my friends like my son just ate them raw, and I was like, mm-hmm. "Crazy!" I was not going to eat those raw. <laughs> yeah. I was going to cut those up and put them yeah. in my salad and compost pieces of them. But you mm-hmm. ate the whole thing. That's awesome. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. So okay, so now. With the investors, you got this. So you're 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 giving away the you're giving away your your proceed. Well, you're giving away your 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 harvest for free. Yeah, for free. Now and the, uh, the other thing I did too was um when I had first done local tours, I had met these people, Kathy and Ian, at Lorica Farms. Mm-hmm. Um, they're about 30, 40 minutes away from me, and we really connected right away. They have like pretty much the best permaculture farm that i've seen locally and yeah it's really cool and we just like we really connected and stuff and they're they got into it kind of the way like lots of people did they started homesteading for themselves and then they're like oh we have extra stuff right but now they're trying to turn it into like a business yeah and they're just like so we're yeah we just kind of connected with i connected with them like really well and i went to their farm and i was it's just like magical i was just in love with it and i was just like like they have a couple of events there and stuff and i said would it be okay if i brought my friends and family here to show them like i'll have a like maybe like kind of piggyback on or then she offered that i could just piggyback onto their event oh that's awesome that they were having yeah so i had we had like a little farm jam party there was like a couple bands and like local vendors and stuff kind of like a little farmer's market almost at the farm yeah and uh i people came there before and they watched my kickstarter video so we could show them what we're doing and and kind of and this was before you launched the kickstarter yeah oh yeah this was in august okay that's awesome so keep going Mm -hmm. um so yeah so that was then other other thing that happened too is that i had been spending money trying to get this farm going and my job with my dad had ended 
So yeah. I went and got another job. So what what do you where where do you do for your job? Um, I'm working at like uh, architectural woodworking place. It's an architectural mill millworking place. So it's like working a shop. That's awesome. So yeah, you're, you're a carpenter kind of by trade too. Then with the cabinet, yeah, I, so. I don't have a ticket, but I don't have a ticket. But there's guys there that have their tickets, and I'm doing like the same stuff that they are. So. Yeah, you don't need a ticket though. I mean, it's, no, it's all nonsense. It's like oh. You took this course. Now you can say that you you're you can do this. It's 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 magic. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. But so you're that's awesome, man. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty cool. I can't build anything. I tried mm-hmm. to. I try to. I'm good at understanding how things should be built and that sort of thing. But I just don't have a lot of experience. Yeah, it's not that I don't want to learn. It's mm-hmm. just like I. I'm doing, I don't know. I just haven't sat down to take the time, but so anyway, so you got that. So, um, now how did you get this? So you have this farm event and this Mm -hmm. farm party. Are you, are you guys pretty much saying like they're promoting it? Like, Hey, he's starting his farm. He's going to be launching a Kickstarter or are you saying that? That's what I was doing. Yep. Okay. Totally. That's why I was like, cause I realized that at first I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to like tell anybody. It's really funny when I was the guy that's doing the video is actually my friend. He's like the best video guy I know, but he's my friend. And, uh, I was like explaining to him, I'm like, this is going to be like a launch video for my business. And he's like, okay. And I'm like, I'm like, people don't know I'm doing this though. Like people have no idea that I want to do this. And he's like, okay. And I'm like, this is going to be like a coming out party, but instead of being gay, I'm a farmer. (laughs) (laughs) So, so that's kind of like, that's kind of like what I wanted to do. Right. But then I realized that if I was, like if I had just like launched my Kickstarter and just put it on my Facebook page and didn't have like anything behind it that people wouldn't, they wouldn't know. They wouldn't you know what care. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. They wouldn't care. It'd be too much of a shock. So I slowly started to post stuff like all the time on Facebook. And so it was always coming up. So now people are like, Oh, this is what, this is what Scott's doing. This was, this is what Beatles doing now. And I would just share my story and I was like making blog posts and just different things. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so I did that, and then I did, yeah, that's what I was thinking with the farm party, kind of like introduce people to like what I want my farm to be. And that video is actually mostly filmed at that farm. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, most of those drone shots and stuff are uh, are there. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So your friend that, that does film, he's got drones yeah. and everything, huh? Yeah, I was like, I called him, and I was like, hey, man, like, how much do you think to make this video? And he tells me, and I'm like, oh, okay. I was like, uh, okay, yeah, let's do it. And okay. so he comes here, and I'm like, yeah, we can go up on a ladder on the roof, and we can get like a panning shot of these fields. And he's like, no, I've got drones. <laughs> and I was like, what? I was like, what? <laughs> you got drones? Yeah, it's pretty sweet. That's pretty cool, man. And the government yeah. doesn't come after him for it. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, so for people, go to uh, flavorful. And he's he has the King's English, so it's <laughs> F L A V O U R Farms dot com. Uh, if you go to saying like how so, I mean, we launched this Thursday. I, yeah. I said we like I did it. You launched this Thursday, mm-hmm. and you're already at sixty something percent, and you have twenty eight twenty nine days or twenty eight yeah. days left. So that's that's pretty exciting, man. Like, how thrilled are you for that? I'm pretty happy about it. Yeah, I'm really happy about it. I don't know. I'm on an emotional roller coaster, actually. Sometimes I'm, like, happy, and sometimes I'm, like, sick, and sometimes I'm sad that I didn't start this earlier. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just, like, I don't even know how I feel sometimes, like, just kind of walking around in a daze. I'm just like, okay, I just got to get more work done. 
Yeah, but I think I mean I think it's it's awesome though, man. I think the biggest thing is that you're doing it. Mm-hmm, and, uh, totally. Do you, so, what are your plans for the winter with the winter crops? Are you just going to focus on microgreens? Totally. Yep. Um, so I started growing my, my microgreens now, now that like October was over and I got all my field crops out. Now I started growing microgreens and now I've got like all my business stuff ready. Like I'm registered as a business and got everything going now. So I'm going to grow microgreens. I'm going to use that to get in restaurants and show them that I'm reliable. And then in the spring, I'll start selling them my produce that I'm making. That's uh that's good, man. That's my same plan. What's um so how many customers have you gotten? Um how many harvests have you gotten out of the microgreens? Okay, so I made I started I started doing the microgreens like two weeks ago or no, three weeks ago, I think. When is I'll tell you, I got it written down in a spreadsheet. Um August twelfth is when I planted my second crop of microgreens. Yeah. So I planted or sorry, October twelfth. Okay. So, um, yeah, that's when I, that was like a couple weeks ago, month ago now. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, those came out and they came out so good. They were awesome. And I was kind of thinking like it was going to take me a couple months until I could have like good quality product to take to these chefs. Right. Cause I didn't want to take them shit. I want to take them like good product. Like that's what I want my company to be about. That's what I want my business to be about is having a good quality product. So I didn't want to take them crap. But yeah, my second crops came out like amazing. So I put them in a bag and through my other farming friends, I had already had like contacts at restaurants. I knew these guys wanted microgreens. And so I went to my number, I I had had four pounds. I had two pounds of pea shoots and two pounds of um, sunflower shoots. And so I took them to my number one draft picks <laughs> and I took them to those restaurants and uh, yeah, it went really well. The one guy really liked my microgreens. He j- just has an Italian restaurant and didn't want to use the sunflowers. Yeah. Um, so I'll be in, but he said he's going to, he's texted me and said he's um, really excited to work with me. So yeah, I think that's, it's, it's cool too. Cause we got, we're starting with like, I mean, they give you three basic crops to get mm-hmm. started in. Cause they're kind of like crops anybody can do. But like right. something I've been doing is I've just made like a, a point of saying to chefs that, yeah, if you're interested, I mean, we want to eventually cater the needs of our customers. So, I mean, mm-hmm. we're just getting started now. We're going to do that. Like I need to have a fresh sheet. Like I need to do some other stuff. But I think like the biggest, the most important thing for me is getting uh, getting in front of chefs and getting in front of people and saying this is what I want to do. Yeah. Are, you, are you interested? This is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. This is why I'm doing it. Are Are you about it? And I and it's been and I've and it's actually like been really successful. Like I I hung out. I'm gonna do a podcast with my friend Brian. He started a food chip, food chip, a food truck. <laughs> and it's like gourmet burgers, and he could actually probably will use microgreens for his gourmet burgers. Right. And then cool. he and then he took that that money and he started. A, he was making these sweet potato chips, and now he has a chip factory. And it's like huh. he literally went from like working in a factory to opening up his own food truck to opening up his own factory. So I want to have him on to just kind of tell his story and show that. But I think I think it's like it's cool too, though, because it's like what's we are be, we're going to become a part of this cool food community and i think that's that's the thing and it's like being a part of the decentralization of food community mm-hmm. i think that's that's what really excites me and and also too i mean 
being able to make money from doing this and and just enjoying it and i think it's 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 fulfilling and and it's easy to find a purpose so um yeah sorry to drew it up there man and get on that uh get on that tangent i'm not really sorry because i guess i keep doing it but um Oh, it's good. It's a conversation. Yeah, I, I feel like I get selfish in conversation, Scott. That's what <laughs> sometimes. I just I just keep talking. <laughs> That's what happens, though. But yeah. anyways, uh, everybody, go to how can so if people want to get in touch with you, if people want to donate, what what should they do? Uh, they should go to my Facebook page. Okay. And they should like my Facebook page. So Facebook.com slash Flavorful Farms. Yep. And or you can hit up my website and there's emails. There'll be my, my contact information and stuff on there too. And that's FlavorfulFarms.com. And again, that's flavor spelled the Canadian and King's English way. Yeah. Um, with a U. So O U. So, and I'll have links on the, on the, on the, on the, in the links for, for people to see. Um, and hopefully, man, we can have you on again and we can talk about the Kickstarter campaign, how it's doing. And then we can compare and say, this is what I'm a farmer. You're a farmer in Canada. I'm a farmer in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And we can see, see what the markets are like and do all that fun stuff. So sure, buddy. Anyways. Everybody, I hope you enjoyed it. Now, are you on Twitter as well, Scott? Uh, I have a Twitter, but I'm not going to use that. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Those are going to be my main social media outlets. Okay, and it's it's at Flavorful Farms on Instagram Everything. As well? Okay. Yeah, I've got Pinterest, Twitter, all of it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, everybody, follow Scott, and uh, thanks again for listening, everybody, and I hope you guys enjoyed the show. 